0: Hello and welcome to the first podcast from Unearthed, Greenpeace's new platform for environmental and investigative journalism. I'm Damien Kaya, the editor of Unearthed, and earlier this year I was incredibly lucky. I interviewed Sir David Attenborough. We spoke about far more than I imagined, everything from climate change to the rise of nationalism. But with his new series, Blue Planet 2, out now, I started by asking him about a key threat facing our oceans, plastic.
1: It's it's heartbreaking, of course. Which example do you choose as being most heartbreaking? The one I would choose, uh, I suppose, is because I feel so strongly for them. Uh, are the albatross, and we've got sequence of the albatross. I mean, the albatross are such marvelous birds. You know, they form partnerships for fifty years. They circle the Antarctica collecting food. They come back to their mates at the same place, but they also feed their young. And as a shot of, of the young being fed, and what comes out of the mouth of the beak of the adult, not sand eels, and not fish, and not squid, which is what they mostly eat, plastic. And it's 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 heartbreaking, heartbreaking.
0: In your documentaries, do you find it hard to explain the causes of the changes that you show?
1: The documentaries I like making. Uh, are the documentaries that explain why ants have their sort of society that they have, why birds of paradise have the sort of plumes they have. Those are the things that fascinate me. The wonder, the glory, the astonishments, the thing in the natural world. That's what I'd like to spend my time making programs about. And that's what I do, and that's what I started about. Uh, but I have the ob- obligation, if I'm concerned about that, also to make programmes about what we've just been talking about. But if you made those exclusively about disaster and doom and terror and so on, people, uh, well, I think people would turn off, but but also people would lose sight of what we're talking about. Uh, and what we're talking about is is the splendour of this wonderful world. And if you if you don't see that, or don't have any care for it, or don't have any care whether there's a bird of paradise or whether there isn't, then you aren't going to do anything about it. And what is more, the, the message of doom and disaster is a is a monotonous one in the etymological sense of the word. I mean, it is one tone. It is going on and on and on about doom, um, and. Uh, Eventually, people will turn away. You have to vary the two. You have to show what the prize is before you say it's worth striving for.
0: The BBC has, has got itself in trouble, as it always does, hasn't it when, it, when talking about climate science. Do you think it's getting the balance right now between reflecting the overwhelming scientific consensus and allowing for debate around it? I think it's very, it's very dangerous at any stage to,
1: see, to say for someone as powerful as the director general of the BBC or indeed the editor of, the network, of a network, to say that point of view is not going to be heard. I am going to, I'm going to muzzle that. I think that's very, very dangerous. So you have to, I mean, uh, getting the balance right is very, very difficult. And I dare say no no one opinion is what is right. But it it, it is very dangerous to muzzle opposing views, an opposing view.
0: Do you worry about what climate change means for your grandchildren's generation? Yes, of course I do. What uh, responsible person could deny that?
1: Uh, and not just my grandchildren, who are adults. But, but just uh, more general than that, it isn't my lineage, it's what is happening to the world. And coming to that is what's happening to elephants and what's happening to walruses, which I've been looking at all morning.
0: So what do you think we should be doing about it? Do you have any thoughts on that? You can only do global things with global agreement. And, and
1: to do that, you have to work, by and large, with politicians or through politicians. Uh, and it's up to us all in a democratic society to do what we can to persuade our politicians to do something about the, the dangers which we see. And that's why Paris was such a, an optimistic and happy occasion, really. Looking back on it now, you think, poor mugs that you were. But we went out of those that meeting, after that
0: fortnight or so, with a spring in our stride. You know, we've moved something. After Paris, there was something of a backlash. It has become clear, and has always been clear, that not everybody supports action on climate change. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, it's a free
1: world, and we aren't thought dictators. All we have to do is to go along, declaring the facts as we see the facts. The trouble is that there are a lot of vested interests, and a lot of people who it suits to deny it. That's what happened in in, in the smoking debates in the in the fifties. You know. Um, there were people who were d- denied... Maybe they were being charitable. Maybe they were deluding themselves. Maybe they really thought that this statistical evidence linking lung cancer with, with nicotine was incorrect because you've got all your money in it, in in the tobacco factory. So it can't be so, you know. I, I mean, a lot of... Tempt- it's uh, It's easy to sound so... So it's so easy. But if but if all your economic basis is tied up in this, and you're going to become a pauper, I think there were evil men. I think there were people who really knew and who denied it. But there were quite a lot who didn't. And I think there are probably plenty now who, who actually think, well... It's not really true about uh, carbon dioxide. I mean, all we
0: can do is to go, and what anybody can do, is to go on stacking up the evidence from every quarter. You visited President Obama yeah. in the White House and you, you spoke about the natural world with him. Would you accept a similar invitation from President Trump?
1: I would want to know on what basis we were talking and, and why it was that he wished to see me difficult to know what evidence he's going to accept. The, the things that are happening right now, I was speculating. I mean, has there been? I don't know. Has there been a responsible climate scientist who said that the appalling things that are happening in Texas at the moment are a consequence of earth warming? I mean, I, I'm not a physicist, and I am not an, and certainly don't know anything about higher atmospheric chemistries and so on. But I do know that if you, if you want to cook something, uh, uh, if you want an action to proceed faster, whether it's in the chemistry lab or in the kitchen, you increase the heat. And if you increase the heat, you are going to get stronger reactions. And if you put on a kettle and increase the water begins to boil. Now, there will, I'm sure that there will be more sophisticated climatologists than me, who will say it's not as simple as that, dear boy. But nonetheless, I mean, what is happening to the world's climate right now at this moment? And then when you think about the piffling costs of, uh, of moving into uh, renewables, compared with what the huge cost that's been inflicted by this hurricane in Texas, you, may, you do wonder when scientists when politicians are going to actually make that sort of comparison. But again, you see, I'm just speaking up in Edinburgh. And what I said there was, for the first time, I'm beginning to feel that actually there is a groundswell, that there is a change in the public view. I feel many more people are more concerned and more aware of what the problems are than there were. And of course, it's a cliché, but it is true. Young people, who, they're the people who've got 50 years of their life ahead of them, they are thinking they ought to be doing something about this.
0: That's a huge change. So your, your hope is that the Trumps of this world are the sort of last stand against a changed tide amongst, amongst the younger generation, at least. Uh,
1: my hope is that the world is coming to its senses,
0: yes. There's an interesting mix there because young people are becoming much more infused. But at the same time, you've spoken about a backlash against experts and the media
1: We've had quite enough of experts. Uh, that's a cry from somebody who doesn't understand what they're saying. That's what that means. If they say you have a that, that's when they someone has told them something which they don't like and which they probably don't understand. And that is not, uh, not evil necessarily. I mean, I, there's quite a lot I don't understand and there are quite a lot of people I don't like <laughs> in those terms anyway. And so, Yeah, it's a a knee-jerk kind of thing, but it doesn't bear examination for a microsecond.
0: Many people who are far younger than you have compared the way the world is going today to the 30s, the rise of fascism, the rise of nationalistic movements. The rise of nationalism is is deeply alarming.
1: And uh, at a time when we are trying, uh, and after all, the whole of of the optimism about Paris was that here for the first time nations were getting together and to do something. And that is internationalism. So anything that interferes with that is against what I think, what I wish were happening. We need more internationalism, not less. More talking, and not less. More agreements, not less. And less frontiers.
0: In that context, does, does Brexit worry you from the point of view of the conservation of the natural world?
1: Yes, I have. I'm not an economist, and, and I, I, I certainly don't understand the political and economic implications of Brexit. But philosophically, I would rather that the people embrace one another than spat in one another's face. The, the decision to call a, a referendum for a Brexit was an abrogation of the principles of parliamentary democracy, in my view. Because we didn't know the facts. We weren't presented the facts. I still don't know the facts, really. All I know is, compared to when the referendum came, I, I, I realise it's much more complicated than I thought. And, and when you go back and look and hear people saying, uh, well, what I said is we're going to leave and we're not going to pay any money. Uh, you know, And that is a gross oversimplification of what the problems are. Why am I going on about this? I'm not a political chap. I know about bugs.
0: No, I think you said once that it's easy to be a national treasure if you never say anything controversial. <laughs> yes, that's right. I think it's probably true. So David there, showing that at 91, it's OK to start being a little controversial. This won't be our last podcast. Our journalists will be doing more interviews and explainers on the stories that matter in the weeks and months to come. So if you want to hear more from us or have an idea for something you'd like us to cover, get in touch. Find Unearthed on Facebook. Follow us at UE on Twitter. And you can always find us at our website, unearthed.greenpeace.org.